Welcome to Rich Conversations. The book this week is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? by Philip K. Dick. It was published in 1968 and was adapted into the movie Blade Runner. I've never actually seen Blade Runner. I'm probably one of the few people that haven't. I haven't seen a whole lot of movies, actually. So this book was fresh to me. I used to not read that much fiction, but I dig philosophical fiction. It was maybe like six months ago, I reached out to Stephen Pressfield, the author of The War of Art, which is one of, my, one of my favorites and most influential books I've read. I asked him what one of his favorite books was. He replied, The Moviegoer. So I went to the library and I checked it out. I read it, and then I looked up other books in that genre. And I found more, and I read some of those. Notes from the Underground, The Stranger, Waiting for Godot. And I think Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is the one I've liked most so far. So this book takes place in the future after a global war pollutes Earth and the UN encourages the colonization of other planets with the incentive of getting a free personal android when they emigrate. But some of these androids rebel and come to Earth to live. And the androids are exactly like humans except they don't have empathy. Only humans have empathy. And the main character, Rick, is a bounty hunter. So his job is to hunt down and retire these escaped androids. They call, them, they call them Andes in the department. And it's interesting that on Earth, it's a status symbol to have a real animal, to own a real animal. Other people look down on you if you have an electric, fake one. So they fantasize about someday owning a real animal. And throughout the book, Rick interacts with androids. And then he questions his job of retiring them because they seem so real, so human-like. He empathizes with them, which, which proves that he's human, which is the whole point of retiring the androids is they're not human. Uh, something that struck me was at the beginning of the book, there's a scene where the characters discuss which number to turn their mood organs to. And these machines control the emotions that they feel. And when I read that, I thought of phones today. They're, they're like our own personal mood organs. Whatever emotion you want to feel, there's an app that can deliver that. For instance, if you want to feel anger and frustration, you can read the news. But that news is curated for your own particular values and ideas. So you can feel bad, but at the same time, understand that there are numerous people just like you that feel the same way. It's crazy. What does it mean to be human? That's kind of like the essential theme of this book in a way. And you know, maybe it is our ability to empathize with others. Some might say it's our superior intellect compared to the rest of the animal kingdom. So then what does it mean when our own personal mood organs can tell us how to feel? When we can use our phones to numb our thinking, does that then make us just another animal? And if we only see and listen to ideas that confirm our own beliefs, are we really being empathetic? I recently posted a, a photo on Instagram of everybody on the train looking down at their phones. And I captioned it, how to be social in 2020. It got quite a bit of interaction. And several people showed me an old photo taken on a train where everybody is reading a newspaper in front of them. People back then weren't very social on public transportation either. And I get that, but it's not what I meant. What I really meant was that everybody staring at their phone 
was being social in the photo. And, and that scene is what it looks like to be social in 2020. Your interaction with your immediate physical space doesn't as matter as much as your interaction online. I listened to a podcast interview with Chuck Klosterman recently. Love Chuck. His book, But What If We're Wrong, is one of my favorites. And he mentioned that he had always thought that the pictures and things that people posted on social media were fake representations of themselves and their lives. But now he's, he's not so sure. In fact, he's starting to believe that what people post online is actually a truer representation of themselves. Whoa. And, and I think I agree with him. There's nothing holding anybody back. You can do or say whatever you feel. It's not like that in person where society has written and unwritten rules about how to behave and communicate in a physical world. Think about Twitter trolls. They talk trash to people they don't even know, and they can be really mean and harsh. They probably don't say or do these things in like a physical public, you know? So like, what do you think is a more accurate assessment of what kind of person they really are? It, ma it makes you think. In our world, the line between what's real and fake is so blurred. Let's take a look at, at my social media, for example. On my Instagram, I post, about books, learning, coffee, art, Chicago, Wisconsin, and the culture around those things. And I wanna share that with others because it's a part of me. It's who I am and I care about those things. And on a daily basis, I interact with, with all those things the most. Someone else might look at that and feel I'm only posting highlights of my life or the things that I do. And, and they're not wrong, you know? And they might interpret it as fake. And for me, it's real. And it's just, it's really interesting. It's really fascinating to think about. And uh, you might think about it too much that it, it hurts your head. So I think the only thing you can really do is just be yourself and just do your thing, right? And not worry about what other people are thinking or how they interpret things, how they perceive it. Just be you. What does it mean to be human? What is real and what is fake? Something to ponder. Thank you for listening to Rich Conversations. Have an incredible week.